Ron and Anian. And I said to Tom and Tony before the show today, I said, wouldn't it be great if there was a way that I could express myself on air the way I feel during the course of the shop? And then we increase the delay time. Doctor. Battery died. Just about four years old. Why isn't this under warranty? I don't know. I didn't design it, drive it, buy it, or break it. I'm just going to be here to fix it. Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, welcome. Ron Nanny and the Car Doctor. 855-560-9900. That's the phone number. Come on and sit down. Let's talk about cars and their problems because they all seem to have them. 855-560-9900. Keep in mind that number is 24-7. You can call that number anytime, day or night. Leave a message and we will call you back. A member of the Car Doctor crew will call you back and get you in the lineup for the following week's show. We are live out on the network Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, and then we uh, go out across uh, other affiliates and podcasting and all the other places that you find the car doctor and take us with you, and we do appreciate that. But um, the live show is Saturdays, 2 to 4 p.m. So uh, to that point, you can call 855-560-9900 when we're not in your market or just you call that live Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m. We're here. We'll pick up the phone and talk to you about whatever you got going on. I was talking or ranting, as Tom pointed out to me today, uh, about a minor recall that... Um, you rant? No, not me. That would never happen. No, not me. Um, you know, I had an ant, a rant or ant, oh, um, about a minor recall I just received on my Ford Escape, and, and I just, you know, I just it just bothered me the way it said, you know, the door may fly open and injury may happen, but we don't have parts for it anyway. We're just kind of letting ourselves off the hook by letting you know that your car's a giant turd and uh, you know it just makes you wonder you know how big ours is and how big are the recall issues so i have in front of me from takata the Takata corporation whose defective airbag inflators triggered the biggest recall in auto industry history this is a piece of the news today um takata hires will goshtel and manages llp a bunch of lawyers to help weigh options that could include bankruptcy so we make a bad part and we make a part that Really, you know, massive safety recall, massive safety imp- imp- implications in automobiles, right? Everybody was, everybody's thrilled to have a, an explosive device sitting four inches in front of their face in the event of an accident. I'm not here to debate whether or not airbags save lives. I get that. They do. But we've got a problem, and we can't fix it, not easily, not readily. They say it'll take years, even if they had all the parts, because, you know, it's millions of cars. So Takata's way out of this is they'll just declare bankruptcy and be protected, and we'll all accept that, and that's okay. There's something wrong with that picture, isn't there? I just wanted to bring this out and uh, just make you aware of it. The Japanese manufacturer might choose to seek court protection just for its U.S. unit, said one of the people who asked not to be named because discussions are private, no final decisions have been made, and Tokyo-based Takata continues to seek buyers. Tokyo-based. I wonder what happened if that was a U.S.-based company. I wonder if we would be able to hold them. Isn't that, you know, I wonder I wonder what the implications are. 
if uh and it was interesting too because we had this great idea we thought it was a great idea we actually you know sought the conversation of a few law firms and it's interesting how we couldn't find a law firm just to come up and have a general conversation on air about the Takata airbag recall a couple of weeks ago. Remember that, Tom? They wouldn't even talk to us off the air. Right. There's nobody wants to talk about this because of the litigiousness. Is, is that a word? Litigious? Litigiousness? Say that again three times fast. How about everybody's going to sue everybody? Um, it just, there's something wrong, okay? You know, I... I I don't just fix cars. I just watch their impact on society, and I look at things like this, and I think, boy, what a what a mess. I'll let you know how I feel next week. Got a safety recall on the 2010 Fusion that I fixed the other night. For what's that? And for Gas what? tank can explode. Well, that's only minor. Yeah, it's minor stuff. It's, it's, I'm, I'm waiting to call them and find out I can't get a gas tank. I'm sure you can't. Now what? Yeah. You know? Well, listen, I'm sure you can't. You know what? I think not having a car under recall today is more of the exception rather than the rule. You know, there's it, it's almost like you're weird if your car doesn't have a recall on it. You must not be driving anything. Uh, my plow truck's got a recall. My Escape's got a recall. My map, my Chevy's have recalls. My Toyota has a recall. Everything's got a recall. It's, you know, but yet we continue to keep buying cars and complaining about it. Anyway, let's, uh, let's kick the garage doors open early. Let's get there before the break. Let's go over and talk to Joe Springfield, Illinois. Waiting there very patiently, 01 Chevy Impala. And I should point out also before we turn up Joe's mic, um, we are giving away an O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card this hour, $25 gift card, uh, good for $25 at your local friendly O'Reilly Auto Parts. You can find more at O'ReillyAuto.com, but we're going to do that this hour. Decision of the judge, Tom, is final today. Joe, thank you for letting me uh, have my opening comments, and uh, how can I help you today, sir? Yeah, hi, Ron. Yes, sir. As you said, I've got an 01 Impala. Um, Three, four, six cylinder. Right. 130,000 130, right. miles on. I had the car checked out at least three times. So I've had three different sets of eyes on it. Voltage checks all came back negative. The battery keeps draining. I had the BCM replaced last week. Um, car fired up the following morning, just fine. Fired up the next day, just fine. So after the car had sat, over the weekend, I believe I calculated it was right at 27 hours. The car sat. Went out to start it up Sunday afternoon, and it was dead. So it's got an. In, so it has an intermittent drain. Yeah. When it, after it left, after it left the dealership, you know, of course, it had to go to a GM dealership to get it re, reprogrammed. Um, it had a 30 milliamp draw on it when it left the dealership, and. They they pretty much said there, well, this should take care of your problem. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, 30, 30 milliamps is more than acceptable. 50 milliamps is industry standard. That's what we're, that's what we're shooting for. But I just I just want to clarify one thing, Joe. You said you had all the voltage checks done. You're yeah, they, you're saying they, you you mean you mean current draw, correct? Yes. Well, whatever whatever is included in a voltage check, Ron, I had three different shops look at it, and they all concluded it's more than likely your BCM. So, okay. And, and I had known this when I'd gotten the car. It was my mother's car, so I, you know, I knew the car. I helped take care of the car for all the years. And three years ago, after she passed, well, I got the car, mm-hmm. so I knew the problem existed. But in that 
I was driving the car regularly, sometimes 60, 70 miles a day, back and forth to work. So I never had that issue with the battery getting drained. The car would only sit at night, maybe for nine to 10 hours. So can, on that extended time when the car sits, it'll still run down. Can I ask a stupid question? Sure. I, I get to, I get to ask one. Um, what makes them think, or have they tested, or have they accounted for, or have they considered it could be the battery? Uh, I, I put a new battery in it. Okay. All right. And I wasn't looking for somebody just to swap a battery. I just want to know what sort of tests have been done. Um, and it's also possible the battery itself has internal problems, and that can cause a drain. And we've we've seen that. So well, it's, um, when I before I got the car, my brother had put two new batteries in it because that's what they were thinking the problem was but then when i after i you know i just put a battery in it a year ago so um okay kind of you know so that being said do they do they have any inclination and i have an idea on how i would approach this joe i just want to ask a couple of questions do they do they do they have any inclination that it is the bcm or is it a complete guess on their part well, like they said, there's really no way to test the BCM. Is that correct? That's correct. But, you know, do they have yeah. a reason to suspect the BCM? Because there's a lot of things, a lot of places this could be. Um, that's all. That's all. That's what everybody came up with. Probably okay. your BCM. So yeah. the only other thing about the car and going back talking about recalls, it does have the ignition key rotation recall on it that I have not gotten fixed yet. All right. I don't, I don't know if that would have any problem. Well, what, what about setting up, you know, I got a couple of ideas. What about setting up a side marker bulb, just a little 194 bulb, across the fuse for the BCM? And whenever the BCM is active or engaged the bulb will be lit. The brighter the bulb, the bigger the draw. Now, granted, the BCM on this car has to go through a 20-minute timeout because it, it, it it's running anti-theft and a few other things, and there's a lot going on here. But After the car, after the car is shut down? Right, yeah. You know, this, okay. this car should have a normal draw for 20 minutes. Perfectly acceptable. Uh, or a higher than you know higher than fifty milliamps for twenty minutes. It takes twenty minutes for the BCM on this car, the body computer, to time out. And you know what I like to do is I like to lay the groundwork. I like to lay the trap. So you know if the car's sitting in a dark garage or is sitting outside the house and you happen to be walking by it, and gee, the bulb is brighter than it's supposed to be, I know the draw is going on right now. And maybe that's the moment somebody needs to jump in and start doing some testing. Right, that's possible. That's number one. Number two, if they think it's the BCM, then how about exposing the BCM so it's accessible and at various times during the course of the day? One of the one of the new tools in the arsenal, and you're going to laugh, is a thermal imager. We're we're using yeah. we're, we're starting to learn how to use thermal image technology. We're looking for heat. Where there's heat, there's there's current flow. Where there's current flow, there's a drain. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, you know, um, there's a couple of models of thermal imager on the market. We're actually trying all of them to see what works best. They range in price from four hundred to three thousand. 
you know, obviously I'm hoping the cheaper one works better. Yeah. I'm just kind of looking to uh, not put any more money into the car. Right. But the car, it's a great running car, in great shape, you know, no rust on it. The body's perfect. I mean, clean, clean as clean can be. Um well, you know, I'm going to drive it till the wheels fall off. Now, the other the other thing, you know, if we play the if we play the role of probability failure, um, I believe the radio goes through the BCM on that car. Well, I've had people ask me about that and talk about that, and they I, I believe the radio has been checked. Isn't that included, like in the voltage checks when they're checking it? Yeah, but if it's intermittent, you know, intermittent, not present when being tested. I think that's the definition of it by Webster. Uh, you know, what I would tell you to do is I would tell you to unplug the radio, drive without a radio for a week, see if the problem goes away. Unplug it? Un- not, is there a fuse to it? Or? Well, I would rather see you unplug the radio at the connector. Okay. Just because if you pull the radio fuse, you might disable something else, and then you won't know which component on that fused circuit is at fault. So basically try to pull that, pull the radio uh, power and then uh, let right. the car sit. Right, let, let the car sit and, you know, let's see what happens. And if it takes going through a component by component, maybe that's what you've got to do. Hey, Joe, stay on the line. Tom just gave me the high sign. We want to try and help ease your burden and pain. We're going to be sending that $25 O'Reilly Auto Parts gift card your way, courtesy of the nice folks over at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Get out to O'ReillyAuto.com for more, and maybe if there's some parts you need for this 2001 Chevy Impala, this will help, uh, help you out. You can uh, use that. Uh, good for anything in an O'Reilly Auto Parts. Joe, we appreciate it. Stay where you are. I'm running any in the car, Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Ron and Anian. Welcome back. Ron and Anian, the car doctor here, 855-560-9900. Boy, I got to tell you, a round of applause for Tom Ray, my chief engineer today. He is uh, producing, directing, operating, answering the phones. Uh, Tom is just running around like a madman in there because... Um, and sweeping the floor. And, we won't and, talk about the broom placement. Yeah, just uh, he is just... Whew, I'm telling you, it's just amazing watching this go on. I've got the easy job. I just have to sit on this side of the microphone. But anyway, we are here at 855-560-9900 to take your calls and solve your problems. Let's go over and talk to Jeremy in Washington, D.C. Some comments about auto parts. Jeremy, welcome to the car doctor. How can I help, sir? Yeah, I'm just wondering what your uh, experience is these days with aftermarket or even dealer level parts being bad right out of the box. Um, I'm seeing um, more of I, it, and I'm seeing it. I just can't, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, it's it, it's hard to get your head around, right? You know, you, I can't explain to you the level of passivity when, you know, I go to a Delco jobber, get the OE line brake drums, okay, not the professional wearing that top of the line was, you know, the ones the car is supposed to come with. Right. And for a 2013 Silverado, they're warped right out of the box. So I'm like, well, the heck with this. Go down to CarQuest, get some drums. 
they're warped, at which point I'm thinking, now, wait a minute, I'm doing something wrong here. But I took it then to a garage, and sure enough, he said, oh, no, we just turned them, and they're fine now. Yep. And they are fine now. So, I mean, you know, I had some shocks that were leaking right off the get-go that I bought. I mean, it's just hard to find. It sucks for the guy working in a driveway that doesn't have a brake lathe. You know, right. you can't count on new parts out of the box. And, you know, and I keep saying this over and over again, and I'm I'm just, listen, I'm just the little guy on radio, and I don't think anybody's listening to me, but I firmly believe the parts issue, uh, not to be dramatic, but I kind of think it's a matter of national security. Because, you it know, is, man. because with the quality of auto parts out there, believe me, when China turns off the stream, we're going to be walking. Uh, you know, and that's and, and 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 that's an issue, and that's a real issue. Uh, you know, yeah. I just, I mean, do you experience it there at the shop? That, oh yeah, all uh, the time. To the fad, just yeah. And and you know, the salesmen that walk in. We had the motorcraft salesman in the other day, and mm-hmm. uh, he's a new guy on the job, and you know, he's all full of company pep and spirit, and you know, and I get it. Listen, I think motorcraft makes a great product. I think they do a lot of things right. Uh, you know, we were talking about the quality of their parts. I think Motorcraft is definitely a source to consider depending upon what you're working on. I told him the story about the 2009 Lincoln Town Car I had back in the beginning of the summer, uh, June, uh, May. Did the air conditioning, put a receiver dryer in it, came in the next day, the system was empty again. Sniffed around, the new receiver dryer I had just put in that passed a vacuum test on Friday. On Monday, the seam where it was welded, they missed a weld, it leaked. Had to take the so whole why thing. Why the crap did that make it out of the out of the right. assembly line? Right. You know, right? How did it make it out of the factory? And you ask yourself that for years, and I can't just say it's Motorcraft; it's all of them. For years, I've well, said because I'm feeling Telco. Well, well, for for years, I've felt Jeremy that the the parts the cars actually make it out the door of the factory with the one the manufacturer has to warranty five years, fifty thousand miles. I think that is a better grade of part. And then I think the parts that the aftermarket gets or places like some of the online catalog houses that I don't want to mention by name, um, not any of my sponsors. I'm just saying that I I think about them, and I I think that they're selling those second-rate parts or those second-tier parts that were, well... And you're talking even potentially of an OE line. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I really think what, what consumers have to believe today is when you're buying a repair, you're buying the knowledge of that repair shop that they know what to use and what not to use and how to get warranty for it should the need arise. So you're buying that skill set as well. I'm Ron Anini in the Car Doctor. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. That's what we do. We try to fix everything here. 855-560-9900. Remember, that phone number is 24-7. If we're not on the air, call, leave a message, and we will get back to you. Let's roll along. Let's go to Gary Danby, Vermont, 94 Cadillac Fleetwood, with some starting and running issues. Gary, welcome to the Car Doctor, sir. Um, good to have you. Uh, it, it's a 94 Fleetwood with an LT1 engine. Okay. And, uh, and it, if you leave it, for some period of time, 
and you go start it, it, it will start, but it'll run real rough. And I assumed it was the um, uh, OmniSpark distributor, and I replaced that, same problem. And okay. the same thing with the, uh, the fuel pump and the fuel filter, and I even changed the intake assembly with the idle control valves and on it. And no matter what I do, it just runs the same. Everything okay. I do to it is well, now, now that you've changed all these parts, my first question is what sort of diagnosis has been done to it? Well, um, actually, it was, has the onboard computer, which has, I think, like 33, 34 self-diagnostic tests, and it, it come up all uh, negative. Okay. And uh, it's the uh, OBD-1 system, so right. I guess the information is going to be limited what you get out of it what's, anyways. What's, what's fuel pressure when you go to start it? I can't tell what fuel pressure is. Okay. And... Like, well, and, oh, and well, and, and I knew, and I knew you couldn't, Gary. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna beat you up too bad. I know you're, you're banged up enough. But my, my point is, you know, I get these calls all the time, and I understand it. All right, you know, I think there's a, there's a fear of taking it to a garage that, you know, because it's getting hard to find a garage that knows what they're doing that will start to throw parts at it, and then it snowballs out of control. And, and, and a couple of things happen. Now you've got a 22-year-old car that's got a running problem filled with parts that we're not sure what the quality level of those parts are because new means never, ever worked. And now you could have instilled some problems into the car that's already broken. That being said, always start every diagnosis with basics. I, I, I wish I could convince everybody within the sounds of my voice, never start a diagnosis without some of the basics. Battery, terminals, cleanliness, spark. Yeah. I, I want to know what yeah. spark output yeah, is. I could buy a spark tester, uh, an, an injector noid light, and a fuel pressure gauge set, decent quality stuff under 250 bucks. Yeah. And, you know, if we're not going to spend that kind of money to do any kind of diagnosis, then just keep throwing parts at it because it just, it just doesn't pay. Um, uh, I can tell you this. One of the things that's common with those right off the bat is I want to know what fuel pressure is. It's a real issue with those engines. No, All right. I, I didn't. I didn't mention I did put a new fuel pump in it. Okay. Well, you know what I think about new, so I still want to know what fuel pressure um, is. Actually, that was AC Delco. I one. still want to know what fuel pressure is. All right. No. Here, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. Ninety-four E three fifty van. This car's at the shop right now. Three hundred eighty-eight thousand miles on it. Got pushed in on Wednesday. Dead on. Dead on arrival. DOA. Diagnosed it bad fuel pump. I was right. Put a fuel pump in it. Finished it up yesterday afternoon about four fifteen. Fired it up, it started, it ran. Let me check fuel pressure. Gary, why am I checking fuel pressure on a van that starts that I diagnosed as a bad fuel pump when I was right? Why am I checking fuel pressure, Gary? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, why? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why? Um, I think you were just talking about bad parts. Right. But, um, so here I am. Well, I also want to know, how do I know the parts I put in are any good? So true. here's this brand-new Motocraft fuel pump. All right, and I think Motocraft, you know, when we talk about parts, is, is, is a good quality line. This fuel pressure, this fuel pump, or this fuel pressure in this vehicle is 86 pounds. It's a 44-pound system. It's double what it's supposed to be. Sat there and thought about it. Well, let's see. Did I crush the return line putting the tank up? Now, nah, it's kind of hard. Could the tank have a restriction in it? Now, nah, that's kind of hard. Went through the tank. Maybe I've got a bad fuel pressure regulator. 
took the vacuum hose off at the fuel pressure regulator to see if the pressure would change. I didn't need to look any further because I got hit in the face with a line of fuel. The diaphragm and the pressure regulator ruptured, and it's it's stuck wide open. So, you know, Monday, a fuel pressure regulator is going to show up, and we'll see what else we have to do to this 94, 22-year-old vehicle. So my point is, I don't care if it's new. I don't care if you just put it in. I don't care if it's. I don't care if God came down and pronounced it healthy. I want to see that it works. I want to test it. Mm-hmm. So, but um, the behavior is still the same. Right. Identical. Right. Bad behavior from the car. Then the next place I would go is I would grab a scan tool, and I would start looking at sensors to see what looks amiss. Now the OBD one, that's kind of limited. What they're going to give you is well, it? it's limited in terms of what we can see versus OBD two. But in terms of OBD one. I fixed OBD1 cars for 20 years before OBD2 came out. We fixed tons of them using a scan tool. All right, the other thing, or the other thing you can do is you're going to get a voltmeter. Most of those were three-wire sensors. You're going to get a voltmeter, and you're going to start to look at individual sensors and compare voltages. But what I want to know is when you go to start that, I want to know do the coolant and intake air temp sensors after the car sat for more than eight hours, do they typically run within 10 to 12 degrees of each other? In this case, is voltage roughly the same if you don't want to use a scan tool? I want to take a hard look at TPS, at the throttle position sensor. You've got three wires there. One's going to be 5-volt reference, one's going to be a ground, and one's going to be signal out of the TPS. It should be about half a volt, all right? And, And I kind of want to know that because just because it hasn't set a fault code, because OBD1 is a lot stupider than OBD2, just because it hasn't set a fault code doesn't mean the sensor can't be out of spec or create a running issue and not set a code. Mm-hmm. Ground 102, which is the main ignition ground, if memory serves me correct, on the left front corner or the right rear corner, depending upon where the car was built, of the cylinder head. That's the main ground, ground 102, and it has to be there and it has to be good, clean, and tight. That's what I'm wondering now. Maybe it's because it's plenty of rust from New England. On that right. Coast. Yeah, that's when I saw Vermont come up. I said, "Okay, the rust belt," and then um, <laughs> take take a look at the negative. Take a look at the negative battery cable where the ground meets the fender and the ground meets the body. I would definitely do a voltage drop test, and I would definitely take a headlight, run one side of the headlight to positive and run the other leg of the headlight to the ground at the ground not at the battery itself in other words load the circuit and see does it cause it to light up yeah. and how well does it do but those are the kind of things i'd be looking for yeah um no i would have just taken this thing down the garage but there's only one problem i'm on the side of a mountain 1800 feet up yeah, no, I get it. Listen, nearest garage like forty five minutes away. I I understand that part. I really do. I just, I just, you know, you've probably got five hundred dollars in this car. Well, maybe more. Working, working on it. Yeah. Well, what the the killer is, Ron. It's all I have to do is run this thing for eight hours to take up Maine. I got a thirty thousand mile drive train to put in this thing, and I just can't get it there. Right. Yeah. Right. But I would, I would, um, well, and, you know, changing the drivetrain may not solve the problem if the problem is somewhere well, else, no, too. Anyways, it has yeah. 178,000 miles on it, so right. it's getting also third gear shot, too. So, you know. Right. No, I hear you. Well, so, but those are, the, those are the things I would be looking for, sir. Okay. All right? Okay. And I would, I would try and get my hands on an OBD1 scan tool. There's tons of them on eBay. Cheap enough. Well, let me ask you, well, 
Yeah, okay. Am I going to get a lot more information than I do on the onboard diagnostic system in this thing? Um, you will get more, and you will be able. It's a lot easier to manipulate the information. You know, okay. in in that car, you're pushing buttons on the dash. Is it is it? It was AC the and heater and climate control and all that climate back in '94, yeah. right? Yeah, that's climate yeah. control. Um, it's it's a lot easier to manipulate the data. And you know, okay. I'm I'm sure there's an OTC monitor 4000, which was the bread and butter tool back in the '90s. That, that we use. Yeah, because I've been looking for a combination um, OBD2 and 1, but I'm not finding a whole lot out there that includes OBD1. Uh, and you know why? All those cars are gone. A lot of the manufacturers just, uh, you know, they, they didn't support it. I'll tell you a tool that'll do it. The OTC uh, um, uh, Genesis, or an Evo, a Genesis Evo. Older tool. It's it's a legacy tool. It's It's going to go away. Um, matter of fact, I've got three of them sitting around the shop. Uh, you know, they're some of the scan tools that we have, but I know for a fact they're OBD1 and OBD2. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, you just got to get the cables. The reason the manufacturers don't support OBD1 in volume is because there aren't enough of the cars out there to make it worth their while because of the cost of cabling. Because Ford's a different cable, Chrysler's a different cable, Chrysler's a different cable, and then you got OBD2. So yes. it's, it's, it's yeah. a whole nother. So, but uh, do those things, Gary. I'm up against the clock. Let me run. If you need okay. me, send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Ron and Andy and the car doctor. The phones are busy. Let's get rolling. Let's go over and talk to Ray, Lansing, Michigan, 2010 Chevy Traverse. Yes, Ray. Welcome to the car yeah. doctor. How can I help you? Um, it's an ongoing problem we had. Had it into the dealership. Uh, it's got about 83,000 miles on it. Okay. It uh, problem, I noticed it. It's my wife's vehicle, and I don't normally drive it. And if I do, I don't go great distances. But we took it on a trip uh, twice this year out to uh, New Mexico. And uh, it acts up the voltmeter. We'll sit there and you you start it up and it'll run uh, almost 15 volts. It indicates uh, it's not a it's a weird voltmeter. I'm just guesstimating. Right. And then after a while, it'll drop down to 13 volts, maybe even as low as 12 and a half. And then even while this, we haven't had this issue lately, but for a while we had it that it would uh, run about the middle and then it would surge. It would vibrate. You, you'd watch it and it, it just shake a little bit. The needle would, and you could feel the vehicle surging. Let me ask, let me ask you a question, Ray. Has, has the vehicle ever not started? Has the vehicle ever not started? Has it ever uh, given you not, a dead battery condition? No. Okay. Has we got it, when we got it, it had forty thousand miles on okay. it. Okay. So. Has has it ever had um, any dash warning lights come on? Any fault error messages? Uh, yeah, we had uh, a lot of um, airbag problems with it. Okay. Um, airbag signals. We've had uh, um, anything related to charging system? No. No. 
Let me, the dealer let, did replace the alternator. Okay. Let me. And let me. Didn't make any difference. And I, I wouldn't expect it to. That vehicle okay. has EPM, electrical power management. Okay. All right. Are you aware of this? Uh, not really. Okay. Uh, if you look at your I, if you look at your battery, there's an amp clamp around your positive battery cable. I believe it's the positive. Memory serves me right. Okay. What they're doing is, and there's, I think, eight or nine stages or modes of electrical power management. It's it's crazy, all right? What they're doing yep. is they're limiting how the charging system operates and maintains voltage so that they can get components to do other things in the interest of emissions and fuel economy, all right? Okay. There's a startup mode. There's a cruise mode. There's a charging system mode. Um, there's all sorts of things going on here. And typical battery voltage for this system will be 12 to 15 volts. And, and you know what? It's very detailed. Ray, you have email? Yes, I do. Send me an email, ron at cardoctorshow.com. I sent this in originally on that. Okay. So. Send it to me again. I'll make sure. I, I'll okay. make sure. Because I think we, we picked your question because we wanted to talk to you here on air. Um, yep. But just send it to me again. And I will make sure I send back to you the 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 list because I think it's a good read. And for anybody that's got an EPM system, I'm amazed the dealer put an alternator in it. They must have either it was under warranty or they needed to sell an alternator that week because they should have explained this to you that you will see anywhere from twelve and a half to fifteen volt cycle on your typical GM vehicle of this era, not just traverses but everything else. All right, sir. Okay, my wife just. Right. Yeah, my wife just said that it was doing it uh, surging again. All right. Well, the surge may be a separate issue, unrelated to the charging system fault. So, well, for- it, it does. I do notice it though that when the surge, when the voltage would fluctuate up, and I'm talking just a minuscule amount, you could feel the vehicle increase right. and back off. But is the is the engine speed going up, causing the charging system to increase? Or is the charging system increase causing the engine speed to change? And I okay. think it's, I, I think hear what it's, you're saying. I think it's the latter versus the other. So send me an email, Ron, at cardoctorshow.com. I'll send you some information. We'll go from there. 855-560-9900. We're coming back right after this. Car doctor at your service. Let's get over to Adrian, Somerset, New Jersey. Adrian, I've got about two minutes. How can I help? Yeah, how you doing, uh, yes, Ron? Sir. Thank you very much for taking my call. You're I uh, been subscribing to the Ron and Adrian School of Preventive Maintenance for many years, thanks to your advice. And I bought a 2016 Hyundai Santa Fe 2.4 liter GDI engine, and I'm thinking about decarbonizing. It's about 10,000 miles now. What would you recommend? Uh, for a GDI engine, we're, we're I'm liking Berryman Berryman products. I think they've got a real strong uh, combination right now. We were just we were talking about this a couple of months ago, um, and after a lot of review, I think for a GDI, I'm kind of leaning towards Berryman. I think they've got the uh, strongest solution out there. The other issue is stay on top of your oil changes. Make sure whoever's doing the oil 
it meets exact manufacturer specs. I can't stress that enough that they're finding, and a lot of the reports I read this week in class was all about um, exact requirements, exact specifications. I couldn't help but think when I was, if I'm picking a motor oil today, um, if I'm not using the manufacturer's branded motor oil, Hyundai or, or Ford or GM or whoever, I want something like a Pennzoil. I definitely want a Pennzoil because I know it's built to an exact engineering spec um, right down to the nth degree. I think that is going to become a huge factor uh, in, in the care and the upkeep of the car. And if they tell you to change it at 8,000, I'm going to tell you to change it at 6,000 because Sooner's a little bit better than later. Actually, I've been using Mobile One every 5,000. And it's, uh, it's as long as it's meat and spec, I'm okay with that too, but absolutely, positively. All right, sir. Thank you, thank you very much. You're very welcome, Adrian. And uh, by the way, more information at berrymanproducts.com, and uh, you'll find it there. Oil comes back to the key thing that you can still do to your car while you can still do it to your car. So I want you to think about that. Stop using cheap oil. I'm Ron Anany in the car, doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive, they're priceless. See ya.